In these uncertain days, there is a person who offers peace. His name is Jesus. People from all walks of life are gathering in his house to hear from him. It's time for you to join the movement. I want to talk about with you today life's decisions. Say that with me, life's decisions. Say it one more time, life's decisions. I want you to know this is not in your outline, but I want you to know this. Your life decisions are simply a byproduct of your foundations. Your life decisions are simply the byproduct of your foundations. And we've been following recently with Paul in the book of Acts, his journeys, and the reasons why he did what he did was because that his life's decisions came out of the byproduct of the foundations of his life. For example, when he was in the city of Ephesus, he wanted to leave, Brother Dan. He got upset. He wanted to leave because of all the pressure, but God spoke to him in the middle of the night and said, stay, and because God was his foundation, he stayed. A great ministry took place, and after two years, here's what the Bible says, chapter 19, verse 21, say amen if you're there. Amen. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit, and that's going to be important to us. He resolved in the Spirit, Acts 19 and 21, to pass through Macedonia and to Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, the backdrop of this is as Paul and all the places he's been going, he's been for over a decade, Brother Henry, he's been for over a decade on the mission field. A couple times he went back to his home church in Antioch and spent time on deputation, praying, encouraging. But for over a decade of his life, he's been away from Jerusalem, and now he's going back, and he's not going back empty-handed. He's going back with a love offering that he's taking to the church. The, everywhere he's been, he's been taking offerings to help the church that's struggling back at home. But not only that, it was a place that he loved, and he was going back as a saved man. When he first came to Jerusalem, he was a lost man, and now he's a saved man, and he wants to go back. And the Scripture says here now, in verse 22, he sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Now, here's a question for you. If you got a life decision, when do you make that decision? It seems to me that for Paul, that oftentimes that he made a decision, but he lingered just a little while, and God would have to put him in some circumstances to push him forward. I wonder, are there things in your life that God has to always do to push you forward? For some of us, he has to put us in trials. For some of us, it's somebody's got to come and talk to us. Other times, it's the foundational things. And so Paul stayed, and verse 23 says, About that time, sounds like Jerry Clower, doesn't it? There arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way we know is the way of Christ, what they, they identified the church as. For a man named Demetrius, we'll see him in 2 Timothy back in the spring of next year, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. Now, Artemis was the deity of of Ephesus, uh, she was the fertility dead god out of the worship. He said, they says this, he brought no little business to the craftsmen. Then he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Now watch the ministry of Paul. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that, God, that gods made with hands are not gods. You should say amen right there. And there's a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of our great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she who all Asia and the world Worship, And they get all cranked up. 
They run and get, they try to get Paul, but they can't find him. And so they get two of his leaders. They take them into a public square. And for two hours, there is this great debate that comes. And it's getting violent. And Paul wants to go into the group, but they won't let him go into the group because they're protecting him. And then we find that after two hours that it gets even worse. And then finally the Bible says, just just quickly overview, the Bible says that the leader in the area, a magistrate, stands up and says, they're going to accuse us of rioting, break this thing up. So here's what the Bible says, chapter 20 and verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for his disciples, and after encouraging them, he said, farewell, and he departed. He goes to Greece, and he spends three months in Greece. But again, here again, the tribulation. He's making his way, if you looked on a map, he's making his way southward, headed back to the place where he'd originally been. I want to tell you this with all my heart today. I want you to hear this. This is the first fill in the blank. The decision to follow Jesus is going to cost you. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you in your life. Wherever Paul followed the Lord Jesus in, there's a cost to that. And I want to tell you this, that today I find that many believers don't realize that the, what the cost is. And because of that, there is this great struggle that people have. Jesus said this, and it's coming on the screen in Luke chapter 6 and verse 22. What a powerful statement. Blessed are you when people love you. But now it is blessed when people love you, amen. I'm glad my wife loves me. I'm glad other people love me. But Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. You see, the, the first life decision that you should make is not on the outline, but it's being said throughout all the Bible is following Jesus Christ. Until he becomes the Lord of your life, you can pile everything else on up from the Christian faith. It will do you no good until you know the author. And so if you don't know him, that's where it begins. But Paul knew the Lord. And so Paul sends his team on ahead, and he follows them, and they come to a place called Troas. And it says in verse 7, on the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. Here's an amazing preacher moment for us, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. You think I preached long? He preached on stand. I think you'd probably go on home, maybe, and I might too. But he preached after midnight, and one of the members there of the, of the family was sitting by a window. Eutychus was his name, and he fell asleep and fell out. Not, not just out in the floor. He fell out the window and died. You know, Paul was annoyed by that in that moment. He simply goes down and prays over him, raises him from the dead. I've been in services. I prayed the people in the pews to be raised from the dead uh, in their services. And so he's raised from the dead, and, and they are all excited. But Paul couldn't stay there. See, sometimes you and I celebrate moments too long. Sometimes we stay in a moment too long when, when God's got a vision for our lives. And I want to tell you, at First Baptist of Jackson right now, we don't have time to celebrate very long because there's a lost and dying world that's going to hell every day. And there's so many, much in the kingdom that he's pouring into us right now. So we've got to be about the business of the Lord. But you see, if you make the wrong decisions... You will find yourself staying too long or going in the wrong direction. I looked up the word decisions in the Webster's Dictionary. The word decision in the Webster's Dictionary means this. It's coming to a conclusion based upon the reality of your consideration, and you made a resolution that this decision is right. I want to tell you this, that not only, friend, in my heart of hearts, that the decision to follow Jesus is worth the cost. Secondly, the impact of following Jesus is worth the cost. 
We may not be in front of an archer, but we may be in front of a screen. We may, we may be in front of a school. We may be in front of a police department. What will be the decisions that we make? What I want to do today is to help you to understand that Paul is simply an example of how that we ought to follow the Lord with our life's decisions. If you'll look with me now, the Bible says in verse number 17, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus. Here's the circumstance. The circumstance is he intended not to go back to the city of Ephesus because he knew that they loved each other so much that they'd want to stay a while. Amen? There's some places when I go back to preach through Brother Wesley that I know if I go to a certain area that I'm going to be longer than I can afford to go. And, and so he said to the elders, I'm stopping here. And so he sent to them. It's a 30-mile journey, by the way. How many of you would walk 30 miles to see anybody? I mean, we don't drive 30 minutes if we don't have to unless it's something we want. But these elders, the Bible says, they called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, now, they've come 30 miles to meet their mentor, the one who loved them. And, and that's the way this church loves. I want to tell you that. This church loves. I preached in a place last night, and one of our men called me. He said, I want to go with you. I want to carry you there. And what a blessing that is that I'm loved in that way. And you're, you're loving in that way. And the Scripture says when they came to him in verse 18, here's what he said. You yourselves know how I've lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Now let me ask you this. Right now, in the past seven days, you made decisions. Some of them you might consider insignificant. Some of them you might consider significant. But why did you make them? Why are you working where you work? Why are you staying where you work? Why are you going to a new job? Why are you married? Why are you, why are you single? Why, why do you give to where you give? Why, why, all of your life decisions, why do you do them? I want to tell you this. Here's why. Because there's some foundation underneath it that causes you to springboard. And some of us, have got, listen to this, some of us have made decisions, but we've forgotten what they were. My goal today in the message as it comes on the screen is simply this. My foundational decisions now, notice this, what you make now will govern all the decisions throughout your life. I want to help you to make them now. Now, some of you in this room say, Preacher, I've already made those decisions. Do you know what David did? David, we read him in 1 and 2 Samuel back in the spring in the awakened life. David had such foundational decisions that he was a worshiper of God and sought his heart. But David got away from those foundational decisions and sinned against God. And he wrote in Psalm 51, 10 through 13, God created me a clean heart and renew the steadfast decision, foundational decisions in my life. Some of you come here today, and I believe this, that you need a reminder and a refresher to come back to the joy of what it is to be saved. I've never gotten over getting saved. As many places as I go, many times I tell you, we'll never end a service at Jackson First Baptist Church. You know it, that we don't give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's foundational to who we are. We have to be reminded of that. And so I want to tell you that today, that for some of you, the new, new people, particularly in the second service, it'll be coming to a foundational decision. But for you who have it, are you rejoicing in it? Are you standing on it? Are you, you charging the gates of hell? Are you leading your family in those foundational things? I think many of you are, and I'm praying that God restores that today. So there's some foundational decisions I want to give you that Paul made. There are four of them. The first of all, let's put it on the screen for you, the decision to serve the Lord Jesus. He was saved, but he said, look what the Bible says here in verse number 19. He said, he said, I was serving the Lord. 
Now let that sink in for a moment. To serve the Lord is to be a doulos, to be a, to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, my life is not about me. My life is now in to serve him. He said, I became, a, I served the Lord Jesus, notice this, with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me throughout the plots of the Jews. Now think about serving the Lord. When you first get saved, remember how that you want to serve the Lord anybody? You couldn't do enough for the, the one that, that had given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been transformed, Romans 12 and 2, by the renewing of your mind. Everything is for him. But what ends up happening? Many of us, our faith becomes, listen to me, a monument, and it not, doesn't become a movement, or it is a movement for a while, and we lose the joy of that. Paul said in Romans 12 and 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in your spirit. And here's what he said, and serve the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, after all these years, I have the privilege, listen to me, the privilege to serve the Lord. I want to tell you, you have the privilege to serve the Lord. Sitting in the trustee meeting on Thursday evening, and it's getting late, and I'm sitting there at this banquet that I didn't deserve to be at. All these great theologians, all these great, great servants of the faith, and why am I there from the head of a holler, from a guy who grew up as a coal miner's boy? God, I don't deserve to be here. And I want to tell you, as I was serving, I wasn't looking at my watch I wasn't wanting to get out of the place where I was. And I want to tell you that I'm glad when I come to church, you're not trying to leave. I'm glad that when I come to this house, that on a Wednesday afternoon, that, that many of you are not even in Brother Danny Mai's Bible study right now. Because you can't, because you're serving the Lord in that moment in your life that God is working. You are serving the Lord. You're like the young mother in our church who posted this yesterday. Listen to what she posted yesterday. She had a picture of her two children, and she posted this. Thank you, Lord, for the precious gifts that you've loaned to me to raise. And then she said this, may my parenting in this home honor and glorify you. That's somebody that says, I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be foundational in this church, just like Paul. When God said go, he didn't say, well, you go. He said, I'm going to go. My staff have to tell me at times, hey, slow down, sir. I'll let somebody else do those things. And I want that in your life. And I want to say this to you. God has got more for you to do in your life. And you'll, get, you'll gain steam and joy as Paul did. Now watch, he served in humility. He served in tears. There's moments as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it will not be easy. Remember Acts chapter 12, where the Bible says that, that John's brother James was crucified, not crucified, he, he was martyred, his head was taken off him for his faith. Do you think that John said, praise God, or did he weep? Did he weep? There'll be moments that as you're raising your family, you're wanting to serve God, and they'll take a left-handed turn, and you're like, God, this is not easy, what did I do? It's a broken world. There'll be moments in your journey when you'll get cancer, and you're like, God, but I'm a servant. God, I'm a servant. He said, you have to go through trials and tribulations. There'll be moments that you will go through the most difficult times of your life, and you're like, but God, this shouldn't be this way. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer, and we will suffer persecution. So he was a servant of the Lord, but something else, you see, you can serve and really never get anywhere. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what Paul said in verse 20. Notice what he said, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Now, I've said some things in life that was not profitable to anybody else. 
I've cut somebody when I should have encouraged them. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He said, I was teaching you in public, and I love this, from house to house. I was testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what in the world was he doing? Paul was simply launching off of his foundation, which was this, the decision to stand on the Word of God. If ever there was a day in America today that it needs the church to stand up, it's now. I was shocked in a survey that was given to us while we were gone. In America today, the recent surveys say this, that 69% of Americans, 69 polled across America, 69% of Americans believe that the church no longer practices what it preaches. That same survey, those same 69% of the people said that they wish that the church would get back to believing the Word of God. I thought they didn't poll anybody at Jackson First Baptist Church. They didn't poll anybody in many churches in America that stand on the Word of God. And I want to tell you, it has to be the Word of God that we stand on because he said, I didn't shrink back. I didn't pull back. Aren't you glad that your mom and dad raised you to believe that there are only, there are only two, two sexes? There's male and there is female. And I am glad that Almighty God created that in Genesis chapter 2, and there's no changing of that. I'm glad that God, on His Word, said this, that there's one way to heaven, and that way is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we stand on it today. And we don't need a woke culture. We need an awakening culture that, again, will stand on the Word of God. You ought to give the Lord a hand in His house this morning. Paul said, I want to speak what's profitable. In Isaiah 51 and 10, the Bible says, the Lord will bring your vindication. Now listen to this, as you declare the Word of God. In our small groups, our connect groups, whatever you want to call them, our connect groups are sharing the Word of God. If you just come to this church on Sunday morning, let me tell you, you'll, you'll hear from me a strong message, but that's not enough to stand on. You say, what do you mean? Because you can't even follow me sometimes. I, I can take that. I'm preaching out of a fire hose, I want to tell you. And it's not the little Debbie snack cake that I just ate a few minutes ago. I'm preaching from the Word of God, but it's in your connect groups when you flush it out. It's when that you come to conferences, when you do discipleship on Wednesday night. It's when, even more importantly than that, that every morning when you sit down with God and His Word, it's profitable to you. It's profitable to you. And when you go out in the crowd, what should you do? Paul said, I was in house to house. See, they couldn't have in Ephesus a large church like us because they wouldn't allow them. They didn't own the building. They couldn't have a building. As soon as they could get a building, they would. But Paul was saying, I went from house to house. That's a connect group. That's getting involved. They went from house to house. What did he teach? The Bible says, he said, he taught repentance. When was the last time that you sat with somebody as you tried to empathize with them that you said, you need to repent? The more you are in the Word of God, the more that you feel compelled to tell people not what they want to know, but hallelujah, what they need to know. And when they repent, Acts 3 and 19 says, when we repent, the times of refreshing come from God. I saw it this week when a lady got saved on Tuesday night in my office on Tuesday night. She was wanting to talk about anger, but after she got saved, let's talk about it. It's no longer there. Repentance toward God. But now watch this faith in God. The faith to believe what God says is here in the text. He taught faith in God. Is He not your creator? Is He not your sustainer? Can I challenge you for the next 30 days? For the next 30 days, every passage you read, write down what you find out about God. Nothing else. Just write down what you found out about God. This morning I found out He was a healer. This morning I found He's the one who cleanses out my heart in the temple. I found out He is the one that can take blind eyes, cause them to see. I found out He is the Son of God. He is the Hosanna. I found out He's the soon coming King. That was just this morning what little I read in the Gospel of Matthew. 
There's so much that you and I have forgotten because of who God is, because the bigger God is in your eyes, the bigger your faith is. And so I guess that's why Paul, when he went to all these cities and looked at all those massive people, he probably said something like this, God, you're able. So the decisions of your life must begin with being saved, and then you must find yourself being a servant, but then you must stand on the Word of God. But thirdly, you must do this. You must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You say, what do you mean? Here's what Paul said in the text. Notice it. He testified to Greeks and, and, and also to Jews. Verse 22, and behold, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, you might want to underline this next part, constrained by the Spirit. Now, in the King James Version of the Bible, he uses the word bound. Now, when you're bound, I don't know if you've ever been bound with anything. I mean, uh, you ever put on, on a pair of pants and it's smaller than it used to be? I know it's the dryer that does it. I know it's not, it's not anything else. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's not being bound up. There's something here that Paul says, I was constrained by the Spirit. I was not knowing what would happen to me. He literally, Brother Henry, is in an uncertain time. Now watch this. In an uncertain time, there's a certain word for people who serve Him, but when you, this word has to be connected to your mind and heart. And if you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit who connects you to that, you'll miss it. Paul was sensitive. He was being led by the Spirit of God. He said, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I go to Jerusalem, except, verse 23, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. He gives me, he gives me an understanding. The word testify here can mean something like this. Michael Caldwell came to me and talked to me because the Spirit of God led him. A circumstance came to me, and it led me to that. And I had peace about it, or I didn't have peace. It felt like there was a door closed in my life. It felt, it felt, it felt like there was this heaviness. I read the Word of God, and the answer, the light came on. Paul said, wherever I went, people were saying that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, he said, I just don't know where I'm going, but it's going to be tough, but I have to go because it's what God's called me to do. Now, you think that, that God doesn't know what's going to happen to you next week? He does. He is he's all-knowing God who knows the end from the beginning. So, Mike, when you went to the doctor, you already knew you had cancer. Before you went, you'd sensed it. But God knew before eternity even started, and he knew that he was going to walk you on through it. And so, friend, listen to me. Be sensitive to what God said. God, show me. Sometimes I say, God, show me the future, then I repent. I can't handle the future. But he's already handled it. And so Paul said, I, I was sensitive. Now, here's what he's going to do now in verses 24 down through verse 27. He's going to give you six pictures of different people and how they would handle life's decisions. Now, Warren Worsby helps me in this commentary. Here's what he said, but I do not, verse 24, account my life as any value or precious to me. You know what he says here? I'm an accountant who places more value in God than I do myself. He's saying there in that moment, well, Swindoll says this, God has judged me to put me in him, and how can I do anything else but serve him? And then he says this, if only I may finish my course. He's not only an accountant, he is a runner. He is a racer who's racing toward the finish line. That's watch this. When you have the right foundation, you'll springboard and do things that forward you in ministry that don't hide you back and hinder you. Many of us intend to serve God, but because we're not sensitive and we're not standing on the Word of God, we get hooked up in good things that rob us of the great things. 
Now watch him. He goes on here and he says, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not only an accountant and a runner, but he's a good steward of what God has given him. He says then to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's also an accountant, a runner, a steward, but now he's a witness. All of these different hats, he says, I am doing the things that God called me to do. He said, I am a witness to all this. See, when you lose your foundational heart and joy, you quit telling the story. The Bible stories I told my children, I haven't moved beyond them. The same power is there to save my grandchild. It's the same power to save the generations that come. And friend, how amazing it is. He says this, and I know, verse 25, Behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom. Now watch this accountant, runner, steward, and witness is a preacher. You and I are preachers of the gospel wherever we are. Now notice this, we'll see my face again. When I leave you here and my lead us and go on, we'll never be together again. How many of you will be the Hudson Taylor and give it all and leave and never look back? Listen to what the Bible says here. I testify to you all this day that I'm also innocent of the blood of all people. Before coming to Christ, Brother Michael, he had killed Christians. But now he's leading them to know Jesus Christ. For I did not shrink from declaring you to the whole counsel of God. This man is a watchman on the wall. He's there for the people around him. So you and I have a decision today. We have a decision to make. Are we from this moment forward as saved people, listen to me, are we going to be, listen to me, servants? That's no longer I. It's not I, God, Galatians 2 and 20. It's you. I'll serve wherever you want me to, Lord. I'll step in the public form, in the private form, in the school form, in the Christian form. I will step out for you, but I'll stand on the Word of God. It is my foundation. I cannot sink. I'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you that many of us, listen to me, many of us are not, not even paying attention to what's going on around us because we are so desensitized when we should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But there's one other thing you got to do. Without this one, none of them works. you got to have the decision to sacrificially give. Paul was giving his life to that. There's decisions that still needed to be made. I want to take a moment and just read on down through it. In verse number 25, he said, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He said, I testify in verse 26 again, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Then he said this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. They will not spare the flock. That's happened in America today. And from among ourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Why? For three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you, notice this, everyone with tears. And now... You see him leaving, I commend you to God. That is, you're his servant. And to the word of grace, that means that you're standing on the word of God, which is able to build you up, sensitive to the spirit of God, and to give you the inheritance among whom are all who are sanctified. The inheritance, what do you do with your inheritance? What do you do with what you've been given? You see, I believe this, that in, in, when you become a sacrificial giver, you give your life, you give your living, and you give your legacy to God. 
Your life, your living, and your legacy to God. This is important to catch. You say, why would you say that, Pastor Keith? Here's what he said. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that, that these hands, and can you see him holding out his hands, minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the, the words of the Lord Jesus. The Lord, words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to what? Give, Give than to receive. Do you know that we as a staff now are praying? We're praying with all of our heart that to reach the next generation, that our income in this church must increase. We believe this with all of our heart, and we know that it comes. We, we don't beg. We don't borrow. We don't do fundraisers. That's not what we're about. We do it the New Testament way, that we believe that God calls His people to tithe, to live their lives in sacrifice, to give their living to God, and it starts with a tithe of 10%. And I want to applaud you in this room who are givers. Those of you that are sacrificing in your giving above and beyond the tithe. I was so excited when, when they handed out the report and, and gave us the, uh, the quarterly uh, magazine. That, and there, one of the top givers to that university for the future generation was Jackson First Baptist Church. You should celebrate that we are giving to the next generation. And so in this room, you should say, God, thank you that you've taught me that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Some of you in this room need to learn this lesson in your life. You, you, you're not a giver at all. I pray almost every day with Sherry and when we pray together and I say, God, help us to be better gracious givers to other people. Because I know this, you can never outgive your Lord. So Keith, how do you finish this thing? I just simply look at you and say this. It's time you make some foundational decisions. For others of you, it's time that you come back to them. Paul made these foundational decisions, and the Scripture says he left them and they wept. They wept because they'd never see him again. So let me ask you this. If I never see you again, if God were to take me home and I were to never see you again, what would you do with your life for the rest of it? Thank you for joining the movement. We hope that you would reach out to us at info at jacksonfbc.com with your questions and check out more of our ministries at jacksonfbc.com.